We are starting a new series. Uh, we, we're going through our values as a church. Now, values doesn't sound like something that's super exciting, and maybe it doesn't sound like that, something that's super biblical, but I promise you what we're going to say is, is at least biblical, and hopefully we can make it somewhat engaging. <laughs> but the, the reality is, is we do this for a particular reason. What we value as an organization, what we value as a church, and you're familiar with this if you, if you work in any sort of organization that talks about culture, is what we value, both explicitly the things we state, these are our values that are going on our walls, and implicitly the things that, that everyone kind of knows and you, you kind of get the sense of, those are the things that shape our culture. Yes. And when we say culture, we're talking about the atmosphere of who we are. When people walk into Grace Covenant Church in Sterling, there's an atmosphere that's established in part by the things that we value. And so you're new. I'm relatively new, and we all want to be on the same page about what we believe as a church, the things that are important to us. Because there's many things that we could be excited about, many things about which we could, we could focus or focus on, but these are the things that we find to be very important. And those, uh, you can see on the screen, well, you might not be able to read them, but they're lordship, and we'll talk more about these things. If you've been in our Life of Grace live classes, you, you've, you've heard us talk about this. Lordship, evangelism, discipleship. Leadership development, family, and then finally narrative. So uh, today we're going to talk about evangelism. So if you open up your Bibles, go ahead and go to uh, Psalm 96. And while we're going there, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hands because I don't, you don't want to... You don't have to give yourself up. But do you have any habits that you know of? Maybe it was a New Year's resolution and it's February, so they're all done anyways. Um, a habit that you, that you know that you should establish in your life, that you know it's, it's so important that you have this in your life, and yet you just you struggle to create it. No. Okay, cool. I, for me, one of the, one of the biggest habits that I know is important uh, but, but I struggle to establish is one of continuous or, or, or regular exercise. Um, I know that's kind of surprising. <laughs> Thank you. You wear baggy clothes and you kind of suck it in and for an hour and then... Anyways, yes. So uh, exercise is super difficult for me. Um, I know it's important. I, 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 I'm... I'm getting a little older, so I wake up now and I have pains that don't just go away. You, you can't stay up late, and, and, and the next day you're like, I feel awesome. You're like, no, I feel last night. I, f- I feel the effects of last night this morning, or the effects of yesterday this morning. I know proper air exercise is going to give me more energy. It's going to make me think better. I, I know that not exercising is bad for my health, and that's not a good thing. It's bad. And yet here I am um, stuck on the couch level of my couch to 5K exercise plan. You know, I've got that down. And the reality is, is when, when we say something like evangelism, for some of us, that, that kind of has the same feel. Right? We're like, I know that's important, Pastor Eddie. I, I know that the Bible says that I should share and preach and teach and all that stuff, but uh, I really would rather not. Or it freaks me out. Or I don't want to be that weird person. But if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the reality is, is you're here probably because someone has, has shared the gospel with you. Yes. Someone has been bold enough, they've gotten off the couch, 
and they've evangelized. They've shared the good news about Jesus Christ. They've, they've tried to bring what Christ did into your life so there'd be an intersection of faith and repentance. Right? You, you, you probably know that it's important, and yet sometimes we find ourselves to be stuck. So today I want to consider why we ought to share our faith. Rather than, than uh, talk about the techniques and, and the reality that you need to go out there and share your faith, which is absolutely true, and if you tell Pastor Brett I said otherwise, I will deny it 100%. <laughs> but I want us to consider why, why at the end of the day we, we think that we ought to go and, and tell our friends, tell our family, tell our neighbors about what Christ has done, both in, in history and in our lives. Why should we do that? Because your why is going to determine your passion, right? I should do it because Pastor Eddie said so. I don't even do things because Pastor Eddie said so. <laughs> so that's, that's not really a great reason to do things. But, but when we consider what God has to say about the matter, the fact that he's not just in heaven with lightning waiting for us to do it in judgment, but that he's a God who, who shows us his greatness, that he shows us his glory, he shows us his power, and he just invites us to, to share with others the experience of that. If that becomes our why, then, then the sharing becomes a very natural process. So I'm going to read Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6. You know what? Let's stand up as we read together. Psalm 96, verses 1 through 6, and we'll, say, we'll, we'll read it together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are worthless. What the, yes, the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Father God, we love you, and we want you to show us how great and glorious you are. Help us to see, to hear, to taste, to know that you are majestic, that you are glorious, that, that you do dwell in splendor and majesty. Lord God, as we consider who you are, I pray that, that you would so impress upon us just how great you are, how supreme you are, how preeminent you are, that it would, it would compel us to share your greatness with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. One day I'll get there. So, Psalm 96. First of all, I just want to give some context this is a psalm of praise, and, and if you were to keep reading, I would encourage you to keep reading. It's the 13 verses. It's, it's a great psalm to just meditate on, to think about. The psalmist is really just giving lots of reasons that we ought to worship and why we ought to praise God. So it falls within this genre of, of praise psalms. Makes sense. Theologians are not very creative when they talk about these things. It's a praise psalm because it praises God. And we can see that if we look at just the verbs in verses 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Right? We don't normally sing things in, you know, you don't go to chemistry class and you sing. Right? This is, this is eliciting praise. There's, there's emotion coming up. 
You know, I was going to say uh, at the forefront, if you're in, in, in the church right now and you were freaked out during worship, I just wanted to give you some context and encourage you that, that we desire to sing in a way that raises our affections to the level that is worthy of who God is. Now, I think most people from many, many different trend, uh, uh, Traditions would say, God is glorious, he's amazing, he created the world. But then when we worship, sometimes we're, we're reserved. And, and, and if you're reserved because that's your personality, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but, but sometimes we're reserved in worship when we say God is great, but when the Super Bowl happens and the Patriots don't get a touchdown or whatever, if you don't like, I'm just guessing, most people don't like the Patriots. I don't care. But all of a sudden there's worship happening and you're throwing up your, you know, the same person who was just kind of like this in worship is like, oh yes, they're going down. I hate the Patriots or I love the Patriots. The Rams are going, whatever. But the point is that's all well and good, but our worship ought to be, uh, it ought to be in line with the thing that we're worshiping. Right? And so if you came in and you're like, this is kind of freaking me out a little bit. I, I want to encourage you. Don't be freaked out. It's okay. We're worshiping a God who is so great. He's, he's greater than the Patriots. Right? Whatever your view of the Patriots is. Some of you, yeah. Anything's greater than Patriots. Um, but, but, you know, I, I'm reminded of, uh, this is a, an excursus, but we'll get there. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is taking the, the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant back um, They've, they've recaptured it, they've gotten it back, and he is worshiping God, and he's dancing around, and he's, he's just unabashedly worshiping God, and his wife is watching from a window, and, and he just looks like an idiot to her. And so she's like, what, you, you, you trying to impress those servant girls by the way you're dancing? And he looks at her and he says, I will become more ashamed in your eyes than I was then. Like, he, he's like, I am going to do crazier things. I'm going to do things that will, will cause you to, to disdain me even more. But in the eyes of those people who were worshiping, I was honored and I was honoring God. Now I'm not calling us to go dance and be crazy, but my point is that we worship and, and that is, that's why we do it that way. So this is a praise Psalm. And we see in the, in the verbiage that praise is what's being called for. Um, but not only praise, there's also declaration that's being called for. In verses 2 and 3, tell of his salvation, bless his name, declare his glory among the nations. So the, the worship goes from being vertical worship to being so uh, uh, all-encompassing that, that they go and, and, it, and it spills out into the people around them, to the nations, it says. If you continue to read the the psalm, he talks and he mentions the nations and the peoples, not just the people, but the peoples. And the reality is the worship of God is something that, that it's geared to affect the peoples. Abraham was called to, to be a father of peoples. And so worship happens and then evangelism happens. So what does this all have to do with, with what we're talking about, evangelism? First of all, I've touched on it just a little bit, but hear this. The seed of evangelism is worship. The seed of evangelism is worship. In verses 1, 2, and 3, we see the psalmist progressing from worship towards God and testifying to testifying about God to the nations. And sometimes we get it backwards. We find ourselves 
in our life, we're not really in, a, in an attitude of worship. Maybe we're just, we're in a funk or something's, we're just, we're not as interested in God as we think we ought to be. And, and at the same time, we feel the burden because pastor so-and-so said, you need to go reach your neighbors to go reach your neighbors. And so we go knock on their door. Hey, Bill, how's it going? I'm, I'm good. What's up? I just want to know if you want to come to church. Huh? I just was curious if you want to come to church. Are you okay? Do you sneeze? I just wanted to know if you want to come to church. Oh, I, I don't know. What, why, what's going on? Oh, nothing. And if you're there, th- let me encourage you. I, I feel your pain. Like I, I'm the, in many ways, I, I'm, I'm challenged by this message as much as you might be. But the, but the reason that, that that doesn't work is because it's backwards. Yes. Now, now, we certainly have to do things when we don't want to do. We certainly have to have self-discipline. But the disposition of our heart ought to be one of worship. And, and the, the awesome thing about God is when we begin to just, just take a moment and think about God, he meets us by his spirit and he, he incites worship in our hearts. You know, there's so many of the Psalms where David, right, he, man after God's own heart, he's praying, he's saying, God, help me, help me, satisfy, satisfy me in the morning with your, with your faithfulness, with your love. You know, help me, uh, return to me the joy of my salvation. If, if David, the psalmist, the first king, the, the, the example, the, the symbol, the, the one from whom Christ would come has to pray and ask, God, help me to worship you, let me encourage you. It's okay for you to pray and say, God, help me to worship you. If you walk away from today's message and, and you're, you're convinced that you need to evangelize, that you need to share the good news, and the first step for you is to just go home and say, God, make me more hungry, that's positive progress. God is happy to make you more hungry. He repeats this phrase, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord a new song. It doesn't necessarily mean that there has to be a new Hillsong song out and then if there isn't one that, that, that I can't worship God. No, there's a sense in which you could say a song in which I am engaged in a new way or, or a song which looks out at what God has done and includes some of the new things God has done. If we were to go and look at Psalm uh, six, or 95, he, he talks about some of the things that God had done and yet uh, the people of God had hardened their hearts. And he's saying, God has done so many things. Look at what God has done and then sing a new song. The seed of evangelism is worship. So if you want to evangelize, stir up your heart with worship. Sing to the Lord all the earth. There's going to be a day, and this excites me, there's going to be a day when, when all, all things are done, all the chips have fallen and, and God, come, Jesus comes back. I mean, Revelation has some crazy images of him, like on a white robe, uh, on a horse with like a white robe dipped in blood. I mean, it's kind of, a, it's not your baby Jesus carrying the lamb, like, oh, I got long manicured hair and I'm all, no, this is like wartime Jesus. And he comes back and he gathers his people together and there's a gigantic party. And all the earth is gathered. God's, God's people from every nation, tongue, tribe is coming together for this big celebration. We just took communion. Communion is, is not just a picture of, of the Passover that happened, but of the, the wedding feast that will happen. And he's, he's coming back. And so we sing along with all 
the earth. I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to engage ourselves in part of this process. We're sending a, a church plant to Denver, Colorado, Pastor David and his wife and, and uh, Andrew and Sabrina, I'm allowed to say that now. Uh, they're, they're going out among other people and we are trying to engage all the earth. We want all the earth to worship God. We want to take our worship and have it manifest in evangelism in Denver, Colorado. So this summer and in the fall, that's what they're going to be doing. They're going to be worshiping God in small groups. They're going to be worshiping God in Pastor David's house, hopefully in another place as well, and that won't be the church forever. Uh, but they're going to be worshiping God, and that worship is going to, it's going to propel them into the city to tell people about what God has done. Can you imagine what that kind of worship would look like? I was in China, I've been there twice, and they were both super transformative moments for me, so much so that when I was dating my now wife, I came back and I showed her all these terrible pictures. I mean, just, I, I was not a good photographer, and I, I, don't know what, I don't know what I was doing. I basically was closing my eyes and taking pictures, but they were super <laughs> meaningful to me. And I was just telling her about all the things that had happened. And I remembered there was this one instance where we went to this boarding school. My mom's Korean, so I went with a Korean church. And there was a, there was a Chinese church, all, both from North Carolina, who were sending missionaries to, to Beijing. And they, we were going to teach English to these kids who were Chinese orphans in a Korean boarding school learning English to become missionaries. It's very, you know, like, I don't even know what was happening. But I was, I was, I was teaching them English. And I just remember waking up in the morning and hearing like a cacophony of noise. And I walk into what is their sanctuary. And it's basically a, a, a cement floor, um, brick building, one room, people on their knees, weeping, weeping, praising God, entreating God, begging God to move. And, and I just, I wept. I just wept. I didn't, I didn't have a frame of reference for it, so culturally I was freaked out. Um, but there was something about the earnestness of their worship. People who, they had nothing. I mean, th- we, had, we had the bathroom with the toilet. These kids had literally, you walked into this big, again, cement building with a trough and slats, and you just, that's what you do. That's what they had. And they were worshiping God. They had something far sweeter than anything we could ever imagine. And it was transformative. And, and that was about one of the most evangelistic things I'd ever experienced. You, you couldn't go into that and be like, well, these people are weird. No, you, something is happening here. I don't know what it is, but it's supernatural. God invites us to worship like that. Now, I, I'm not saying that it has to be in... in some sort of austere, you know, let's get rid of all the carpets, let's, let's all wear rags. That's not the point. The point is that they were worshiping with abandon regardless of what their circumstance said. So Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Right? Worship is proclaiming God's goodness to God. Evangelism is proclaiming God's goodness to people. So the seed of evangelism is worship. And evangelism, this is my second point, is simply proclaiming the glorious works of God. Let's look at verses two and three. So he says, sing to, sing to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, bless his name or praise his name. Whenever we hear 
the Bible say his name, it's, it's really, it's standing in place of all that God is, his character, his person, his worth, his name. My name, Barnes, it carries some things about me. My kids, they have my name. Ethan Owen, eight of Barnes. There's a definition about that. And when we praise his name, we're praising everything about who God is. Bless his name. Or your Bible may say praise his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Or your Bible may say proclaim. Proclaim his salvation. That word there, if you look tell, it's the same word that is used in other places to talk about heralds. Telling the good news. Right, the good news, the gospel, it's not just something that happened in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God was saving people. He was proclaiming his goodness. He was saying, I have a plan for the sin and suffering in your life. And, and so they're telling of his salvation. And they're declaring his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. This is why it is so important to read your Bible every day. I would encourage you, if you just took your Bible this week and you read through, not with the goal of checking it off, although that's better than nothing, but if you read and said, God, show me how you've shown yourself to be powerful and mighty and strong, your eyes would be open to amazing things. This, is, this, this Bible, the Old Testament is a testimony of God's salvation. It's a testimony of how God took a people who didn't deserve him, a people who, who were moon worshipers, you know, Abraham was a, a, a pagan, basically, and he made a people for himself for the ultimate purpose of gathering a people to himself, redeeming them, and showing how glorious and great he is in the world. We're called to declare that. Evangelism is simply proclaiming or declaring the glorious works of God. Do you, do you want to reach out to your friends and you don't know what to say? You can just say, you can start a conversation and just say, this is what God's been doing in my life. It doesn't have to be weird. You know, you don't have to say, well, you know, I, I raised someone from the dead. No, just, you know, I, I'm so thankful that, that my kids obeyed me this week. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I've, I've been praying for so-and-so and, and his heart is turning around and I, I'm seeing how God is changing him. What do you mean God is changing him? Well, you know, God had promised through, through Christ that he would, he would change our hearts and, and he's given these, these means by which he does that through his word, through prayer, uh, through, through going to church. And these are things I try to do to engage God where he is and have him change my life. Would you like to know more about that? I mean, it doesn't have to be any more complicated than just saying, this is what God has done. Or if you don't want to make it that personal, you can say, have you ever read the Bible? Me either. <laughs> I haven't read it all. Let's, let's pick, let's, let's pick a, a section and just read what God has done. Let's just consider it. Consider the validity of what God has done. Proclaiming his glorious works. And, and I want to encourage you, this is where it, it's a dance with God. See, God doesn't call us to pull out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. God doesn't call us to renew them. God doesn't call us to begin a good work in them. Now, he'll use us for those purposes, but, but we are called to proclaim. Yeah. We're called to tell. We're called to declare things that we can very easily do. You guys are going to declare stuff. If anyone's a football player, I know you're going to declare something today. Yeah. You're not just going to say something. You're going to declare it, either in your heart or at your party. Uh, when, for the guys playing football, they're going to declare some things on the, on, the, on the field. Hopefully in a godly manner, but maybe not. We'll see. 
It's, it's something that we do naturally. I promise you, you do it naturally about the things that you're actually passionate about. And so as we engage God and we say, I want to worship you more, and give me a hunger to know you, give me a new song to sing, give me a burden for your nations, help me to see how glorious you are so that I might respond in worship. As we do that, the declaration will come naturally. You proclaim, God changes. Now the good news is we, we do worship and we do proclaim an infinitely glorious God. Our God is amazing. Let's read verses four through six. He goes on and he says, sing songs, declare his, his glorious goodness. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is not just church language. This is the psalmist putting a, a stick in, this, in, in the sand and saying, this is true about God. He is great. Uh, the word there is, is the same word that they use to talk about the mighty men. <coughs> he is a great God. He's big. He's powerful. He's greatly to be praised. He's feared above all gods. Why is he feared above all gods? For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. And the word there it gives us a picture of the, the wooden or the crafted idols that they would, they would carry around and they would worship. But the Lord made the heavens. Whenever the Bible, not whenever, but many times when the Bible talks about idols, it puts it in contrast with God creator, right? We worship, if we worship idols, we worship things that, that have been created, and oftentimes, oftentimes, things that have been created by us, which is crazy. There's one place in the Bible where it talks about how a man will, will take a piece of wood and half of it he'll burn, the other half he'll make an idol out of. And you're like, that makes no sense. And I, my guess is that most of us don't have little figurines that we, we have at home and we worship and we can kind of be, um, you know, proud of the fact that, yeah, I don't have idols, Pastor Eddie. I don't, I don't have little, little caricatures. But the reality is, is our hearts are idol, idol factories. And, and if we don't have something in front of us to worship, we'll worship other things. We'll worship at the altar of family. And I'm saying family's great. But family is not ultimate. We, we will worship uh, our professions. Your profession is important, but it does not define you. It should not define you. We'll worship at the altar of, of relationships. God has made us and built us to be in relationship, but that is not the end all, be all. You know, there's a place in the Psalms where it says, my heart may fail me, and, and you, could, you, could, you could put in, my, my, my relationships may fail me, my, my uh, job may fail me, my money may fail me, but what? God is my portion. We, it's not a question of whether or not we, we have idols in our life. It's a question of whether or not we are willing to, to throw them down and worship God. Because the reality is, God is just waiting there. He's like, you just come here. Like, like the prodigal son coming back to his father, the, the father is waiting and saying, come to me. He's not, he's not doing this. He's not crossing his arms and looking sternly at us and saying, well, you've been worshiping idols. You need to say you're sorry. No, he, he's, he's saying, come to me. Come here. And as we come, he's willing to show us how amazing he is. How powerful he is. And, and so in Psalm, in, in verse 5, he says, you know, the people worship idols, but what? The Lord made the heavens. And you could, say, you could use that word heavens to ref, and replace everything. Out of the places, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. The Lord made all of creation. 
He made it all. Why not worship the God who's actually done something? Let's look at how, how Paul puts it in, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Not, not firstborn as like first created, but the firstborn as in uh, the one over whom uh, he has preeminence. He's first, right? He, he gets shotgun, as it were. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, right? All the, the most amazing thrones and powers and nations, all the most angelic and demonic forces were created by God, were created by Jesus Christ. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. We had talked about it during our Christmas series that, that Jesus was the baby. I don't remember the wording, but basically he was the baby who was also holding the universe together. So he was in some way, shape, or form, because he was fully human, being a baby and doing what babies do, but also fully God and making sure that we didn't just like disappear like in Infinity Wars and Avengers. If you didn't see that, just, just go with disappear. And he is the head of the body of the church and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all things... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, sometimes when we think about evangelism, we think about Jesus, we're like, we think about the, the, the long-haired, soft skin, meek and mild Jesus. And certainly Jesus was meek and mild. But, but I, I love the fact that C.S. Lewis pictures his, him as a lion. And he says, he's not, he's not tame. He's not a safe God. And he's not a God that, that we can control. He's not a cat. I mean, cats you can't even control, but especially a lion. <laughs> he, is, he is a lion. And he is worthy of worship. When we think about who God is, when you think about who you ought to worship, I would encourage you, don't, don't be so, uh, so focused on, on kind of what the culture is, like, Jesus, uh, get, that out of your, get it out of your head. Yes, he's meek, absolutely, but there's a power that God has. There's, when, when someone comes to, to uh, meet with his enemies and he's wearing white linen and, and his, his robe is dipped in blood, there's, there's going to be, it's going to be bad for the other team, <laughs> right? This is, I didn't make this up, but I love the analogy that if your enemy comes to the fight with linen on, you're in trouble, because he's basically saying, I don't even need to worry right now. You're going to get messed up. Right? That's the God that we worship. We get excited about football because we want to see raw power. We want to see get, guys get hit and people fly in the air. We want to see like concussions and all the things that we're just asking not to happen. And I'm not saying I don't want to see concussions, but, but there's a, you want to see some, some victory. That is the God that we worship. And you may not see it in this moment now. You, you may struggle to see it, but my, be encouraged. That is the God that we worship. And if you, if you just step out in faith and just say, God, show me your power. God, show me your glory. God, show me how you are awesome. He will meet you and you will be on your knees. We worship and proclaim 
an infinitely glorious God. There's, there's another verse in Ephesians chapter one that I, I pray often because it just reminds me of his awesomeness. Ephesians chapter one, if I can find it. Verse 20. He's talking about the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And what did, what did God do for Christ? He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Right? When it comes to the playground fights that your kids have, my daddy's better than you. My daddy's stronger. My daddy is stronger. My savior is stronger. He's been seated far above all rule, every rule, every nation, every power, every king, every dictator, every president. He's far above them. Every angelic force, every demonic force, every possible uh, uh, thing in creation, any tsunami or hurricane or tornado or volcano or the pressure of of the sea in the Mariana Trench, he is more powerful than any of that. The heat of the sun... The, the power of, I'm being a nerd. Um, he is powerful and he's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, both in this age and the age to come. There's gonna be an age where, where it's gonna be much clearer to everyone who's in charge. But let me encourage you, it's Jesus. He's glorious. One more thing before we, we land this plane. I apologize for going a little late. Um, when we see this word, and I've said this before, but when we see the word Lord there, where it's, it's in all, capital, all, all capitals, what that's signifying is this name Yahweh or Jehovah. And the idea there is, is we are worshiping not just God, not just um, Elohim, not just God as in, in a general sense, but we're worshiping the God who is, who's covenanted with his people. We worship the God who has, has made a covenant with the people with whom or for whom he was going to save, the people he was going to, to bring into salvation, that he was going to deliver. We worship a covenant Lord who doesn't break covenant. He is committed to us. He's faithful to us. Later on in the psalm, he talks about the faithfulness of God. He is our king. In uh, ancient Near Eastern culture, they had these, these covenants, and what it was is you had a king who was in charge and he would come in and maybe invade or defeat a lesser kingdom. And they made a covenant, an agreement, which had, uh, this is what the agreement is, this is what I, the, the greater king, have done, has done, and, and these are the, the stipulations, what you must do as the lesser kingdom. These are the, the curses if you don't do them. These are the blessings if you do do them. God, in his wisdom, he used that, that format in making covenant. And, and much of Deuteronomy and Exodus and these Old Testament documents, they're actually, they're done after that 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 covenantal treaty format. And so when we see the Lord, what we see is he's declaring himself as the covenant king. He's the one who's come in and said, I am the greater kingdom. At the same time though, he has taken on the curses and he's obeyed the stipulations that we should have borne, right? Where God said, you have to be holy as I am holy. Jesus Christ was holy in our place because we were unholy. And where it says, you will be cursed if you disobey this, Jesus Christ did that. He was cursed on the tree. He died in our place. And so we see that, that we worship our covenant king. He is the ruler of everything. He is Lord over everything. 
It's, it's, it's a term that, that really, I don't think it hits us the way it should because we don't have a king, we have a president. And, and even the monarchies of the earth are, are not nearly as, as all-powerful as, as what's being expressed here. But God is king. There's no democracy in God's kingdom. There's no voting in God's kingdom. But the good news is that we are gracious recipients of God's goodness. There doesn't need to be voting because we just, we just say yes and thank you. God is king. And as I said before, one day, one day we will celebrate forever. We will celebrate forever. It's a party. Some, we, when we think of heaven, when we think of dying and, and going to heaven, a lot of times we think of weird baby cherubs on, uh, you know, two-dimensional clouds strumming a harp, and we're like, well, that's boring. And when you, your kids ask, you know, what's, what's that about, Daddy? I'd much rather play a... Uh, uh, Nintendo. And you're like, well, me too. That, that idea of heaven's not great. But when you think about the fact that, that everything that you were created for, that everything that God has put in you and crafted in you was for a purpose that was, that was aimed at, at satisfying you and glorifying him, and that when you go to be with him in heaven, when all the things are done and ended, you will, you will step into that, that destiny in its fullness, then all of a sudden the idea of worshiping for, forever doesn't seem so weird. It doesn't seem so, so boring. And when we consider how, how much more there is to know of God, my hope is that it would, it would be something that encourages you to, and spurs you on. I didn't talk a lot about evangelism, about sharing your testimony, about, you know, there's methods, salt, share, or start a conversation, ask a question, listen, and then tell the story. That, that's a that's an evangelistic tool to walk you through the process of sharing the gospel. And, and we want you to be able to do that. But at the base of it, I want to encourage you that we want to be a people whose worship overflows into declaring God's goodness to our friends and neighbors and families. When we think about the Route 7 corridor, I just, I would, I have a picture of worship happening. Glorious, powerful worship where people are hearing it and they're being brought to their knees. They're, they're seeing it, they're seeing people transformed and they're saying there's something powerful and unique about the words they're saying, the God that they're directing it to, and then the things they're testifying to me. That is what we invite you into when we say look, we need to evangelize. We invite you to, to worship God in the fullness of who he is with the full gifts and, and purposes for your life and in your worship for that to overflow into sharing with your friends, to sharing with your family, to sharing with your enemy, just how amazing God is. And if, if that means today you just go home and you're like, God, I, I just need you to open up my heart, to warm my heart, to, to give me a, a heartbeat, then go do that. By faith, go do that and, and see how God meets you and how all of a sudden worship rises up in your soul. Let's pray. Father God, you've called us to worship you. And not only to worship you, but to, but to share your goodness and your glory with those around us. I pray that for every single person in this room, that, that you would open their eyes in greater measure to how glorious and great you are. That, that we would we would repent of small thinking about who you are. 
that we would, by your word and by your spirit and through prayer, we would have our hearts ignited with worship, that we would see how great you are, how great your salvation is in Jesus Christ, and that we would, we would direct our worship upward and we would direct our proclamation to those around us. If you're in this room and you, you don't even know what it means to worship God, but you, you feel that you ought to, that you want to trust God, to be able to say, tell of his salvation, you want to, you want to believe that salvation, you want to know that salvation, I would love to pray for you and I'd love for you to, to, to experience the salvation of God today. If that's you, just raise your hand so I can see. Great. Once you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Father God, we worship you and, and we pray that you would help us. We, we turn away from our sin and our idols and we turn to the living creator God. And we thank you and we trust you, God, for your provision for your defeat over Satan, sin, and death in Jesus Christ. Pray that you'd help us to walk in faith, trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen.